0: Jesus does make the difference. That sounds so cliche, but it's really that way. To know, to know what it's like to be without hope. To know what it's like to have your life wrecked, ruined, busted. To know what it's like to feel like you wish you knew where to go next, and you got nothing. I remember before I was a Christian, I was out in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. <clears throat> and everything started falling apart. I thought I was going to be marrying. Uh, actually, she's my wife now, and that's only by the grace of God, but I thought I was going to be marrying her. That whole thing split up. I was a uh, party animal, and alcoholic. Everything that I thought was going to go in a certain direction, boom, all leveled to the ground. And I didn't know what to do with myself anymore, and I ended up going to a psychologist or psychiatrist. I don't know what it is. Wherever you talk with somebody and they listen to your problems. I went there. And I told her all what was going on and she said to me, well, when you feel this way, here's this sheet of paper and you can just say these affirmations to yourself when you feel bad. I looked at the paper and they were like, I don't know, 10 to 15 times saying the same thing over and over again. And I thought to myself, great. Now this lady knows all my problems and I have this useless piece of paper. And I thought, I'm not coming back again. And I didn't know much of anything else, but I know it didn't work. It wasn't helping. There was a whole lot more going on besides what that lady gave me on a piece of paper. And, then, and she would just, uh-huh, uh-huh, and file her nails, you know. And I'm sitting in there, and I'm thinking, man, she really loves me. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, perhaps, some of you. But here, we're talking about somebody different, somebody that's made us, somebody that knows how we work because he's made us. So we're looking in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. It's just going to be one verse looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here is Resurrection Sunday or Easter. What is Easter about? That's a question. You don't have to answer it, but think in your own mind, what's Easter about for you? What's Easter about for me? Sometimes people think, well, it's about family. Well, obviously, a lot of times people get together family on any holiday, so that ends up being something that may happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen because there's been some kind of, we burned one another. Bridges are burned. I'm not coming back. I'm not going to be around this person. So sometimes Easter doesn't have such a nice ring to it. Now it's more of something to dread, you know, can't wait till this gets over. There's many emotions that kind of fix all around that. But then you look out in the landscape around us of society, you'll go inside of it. I was astounded, I went in Walmart, and I saw they have Easter baskets from the top of this altar up to about here. They were like 25 or 30 bucks. I remember when I was a small child, my parents used to give us Easter baskets, and you had to pull that plastic grass out to find those little teeny chocolate eggs that were about this big. And I I may have had 20. I remember doing an Easter egg hunt with those little chocolate eggs inside of my parents' house. And if I got more, my dad would make me dump it out and my sister dump it out and he would split it right down the middle. And I thought, come on. (laughs) I went through all that work and now I was gonna split it all up with my sister. You know, so we look around us and we think it's oftentimes consumerism. Candy, you know, that kind of a thing. Chickens, bunnies, springtime, uh, feasting. All those kind of things are surrounded around the thought of Easter. But there's something much more. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever endured doing something that you didn't really care for because you knew that if I could just get through this, the result of my going through this is gonna be better over here? Has anyone ever endured something like that? You had some aim in mind. You were like, you know what, I really want that, or I really wanna go there, or I really wanna do this. And so we put ourselves through a whole lot and it's not always the most fun you've ever had in your life. Oftentimes, you feel like, I just want to give up, but you're thinking about what's going to happen at the end. So you're like, I can do it one more day. And then the next day, I can do it one more day. And then the next day, and finally it comes, and you can look back and you think, that was awful, but I'm glad I did it because now I have what I was desiring. The scripture verse tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's a different purpose in the sight of God to what this time's about, what Easter's about. I've got a few different points I'd like to bring up. First of all, Jesus is the purpose. Secondly, Jesus is the payment. Thirdly, Jesus takes pleasure. Fourthly, Jesus, the potentate. Now that's a fancy word for saying the ultimate ruler. So Jesus being the purpose of this Easter time, but far more than that, Jesus being the purpose of life itself. The scripture that we read said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why? Why are we looking? Why do any of us look at anything? What are we trying to do? Trying to figure something out? Trying to pay attention? Trying to stay on course? There's a whole lot of reasons why you and I look at something. But why would we look to Jesus? Why are we looking at him? Are we fascinated with him? Sometimes. Sometimes people hear about the word or the, the name of Jesus I remember working for a lady. She was kind of a hippie lady. She always wore. Uh, she had bare feet, and she had so much calluses on her feet. Her feet looked abnormally large. They weren't like just little calluses on the bottom. It looked like. Well, I'm not trying to be insulting, but it looked like hobbit feet. They were. They were huge, and she was a very skinny lady. She was probably about you know just a little bit taller than I was. She was inherently wealthy from her parents giving her money, and she was just kind of like one of those free-spirited people. You know, everything's wonderful. Let's go plant a garden. You know. <laughs> that kind of an idea. So this lady I worked for, I remember shortly after I got saved, she loaned me personally $10,000 because I was out in Arizona. My parents credit was so bad. I couldn't get any financing and I was getting kicked out of the house that I was at in the middle of my schooling. And she said, the people's house I was staying is you've got two weeks to get out of here. I didn't even have a car. It took me 25 minutes to get to school in Arizona and 120 degrees. I thought I'm in big trouble. I need help. So I tried to get a loan and they're like, sorry, my parents' credit's bad. You're not going to get one either. And so I asked this lady if she would co-sign. She said, no, 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 that's bondage. I don't want to do that for you. I'm just going to give you 10,000 and you just pay it. However long it takes you, you can pay it back. So I said, thank you very much. Well, I ended up paying her back. Uh, I got a large sum of money through answer to prayer. I said, Lord, I put myself in this mess, but if there's some way you can get me out and something did happen. Somebody came into a large sum of money and said, I'd like to help you pay your loan off. Now, I could have paid off the loan that had the interest in it, but, you know, a federal loan or whatever, there's interest accruing there. But I thought it's more important for me to go with this lady first because there's a relationship her and I have. I don't know these people behind this big federal loan company, but I know that lady and I paid it off. She started tearing and she said to me, out of all the money I've loaned to people over all the years, not many people have paid me back. And she said, I've just let it go. There's been little lights dazzling here and there because we've tried to help people out. Their houses have burned down, but nobody's paid anything back. And then she said, are you always this happy? I didn't think I was being happy, but apparently she saw something. So she started, I told her I was a Christian. I told her I got saved. She said, this Jesus fellow, he's something else, isn't he? She was reading in the Bible herself. He's quite the man. That's sometimes what people have. Is it just the fascination that you have with Jesus? He's quite the man, it's gotta get further than that. But that could be a start. But we're looking unto Jesus because sometimes we find other people that are looking unto Jesus. And we see something about this other person that's different than what you and I have ever experienced. And I remember a preacher saying one time, you go stand out in the middle of a busy road, you stand in the median and start looking up like this, and all the cars are parked at the, or stopped at the traffic light. Everyone's gonna be thinking, what in the world's that guy looking at? So they're all gonna crane their neck looking out the window, and honey, what's that guy looking at? I don't know, I can't see, the car's in the way. They roll the window down, he shoves his head out, and he's like, honey, I don't know, there's nothing looking at. But you see, everybody's looking where that guy's looking. Why? He was looking somewhere, and we wanted to figure it out. That happens in life. We find people got a different outlook on life. They've got they've got something else that they're moving toward. And when we find that people are staring to to Jesus and I'm not just talking about Jesus is a merit badge. We put him on our shirt and then we say we're a Christian and we live however we want. I'm saying there's something different about these people. They look to Jesus and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, what's going on? I remember the first time I stepped foot inside of a Pilgrim Holiness Church in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. That is where it struck me. I saw this man, in his eyes, something I'd never seen before. I thought, that guy knows God and I don't. That's all that I knew. He knows God and I don't know God. And I wanna know what he knows because there's something also wonderful about this man that I don't know anything about. I could see it all over his face and he was completely genuine, he was free, and I felt like I had rocks on my back and I was getting buried, that's what I felt like. So I looked at this man, Well, the Bible tells us that there's a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. They were looking in that direction. Now they're looking down and saying, come on, let's go. Don't give up. Don't drop here. Don't get distracted. Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. We find that all throughout the Old Testament. People that were looking unto Christ and to his coming. We find it in the pages of history. People that had looked unto Christ and were pulled through tremendous odds and be able to stem awful situations, communist prisons and tortures, and way back in in medieval times where they were getting tortured for their faith. And how did they do that? There was something else. They were looking to someone. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So Jesus wrote the story and He completes the story. What is the story? It's the the plan of redemption. What's redemption? Well, God created us. We were his. The devil got in the mix, and he robbed God of you and I. Precious souls who God's created. The devil's got his filthy hands on people that aren't his belongings. And he's made wreckage and ruin of people's lives throughout centuries, throughout millennia. He's ruined people's lives all the way to the grave. And because even parents, their lives were ruined, it passed down to their children, their lives were ruined, and so on and so on, it trickled down. And then we just see darkness, boom, all over the place. So Jesus wrote the story of redemption. How then do I get back these souls out of the clutches of somebody who hates them? The devil himself. How then do I redeem these people out of this and bring them into the light which I had intended for them to dwell in? Well, he knows the whole story. He knows the fall of mankind. God created humankind or mankind and he said it was good. But then, when they made a choice to step against God, wreckage happened. And we can see it all right now. Ruined relationships, ruined lives, ruined health, ruined society, ruined creation, things decay and die. It's all over the place around us. It was never intended to be like that. It was never made like that. But you and I know it like that right now. And we, we feel it. There's, it's mingled with joy and sorrow, sure. But we see it all around. And you and I, if we're you know any bit awake, we realize there's going to be a day where I'm not going to be here anymore. So we realize that even we don't, we have an end somewhere. And he wrote this plan of redemption because he knows that fall happened. The darkness of sin swept in. The hopelessness of mankind is universal. And then there was a need for a remedy. How is this going to be fixed? Because if nobody stepped in, are, are we going to fix it? Think about it when, it when a young child, they pick something up and they may do it by accident. And they knock something important over like, you know, you're, maybe you've got your favorite lamp. Or you got this favorite-like vase or something. The child knocks it over. They feel so bad, and they're trying to pick it up. And you look at it there, and you're like, I can glue a couple of these parts. But if they pick that up, there's a little crack that's going. The whole thing's going to bust and break. And you're thinking, they want to help, but can they really? They just made this and wrecked it all right now, and a child doesn't really have the ability to take this thing out, glue all these pieces back together and make it look like it did before, or even give some semblance of what it looked like before. And sometimes you and I think that we're going to fix this whole thing. We're gonna put all the pieces back together. But the thing is, you and I don't even have the capability to do it. I don't even know how to do it. I wish I could. I've tried many times, but it doesn't work. So there's a need for a remedy, and God sees that. So the restoration of all that was disordered is this story, this that Jesus was the author and finisher of, that plan of redemption. Knowing here's where mankind's at, here's where the world's at, here's where hopeless souls are at, and here's the way I can help them and get them out of that. So Jesus is the purpose, but also Jesus is the payment. Notice how everything gets swallowed up in him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Here's how Jesus wrote the story of redemption. In the fullness of time, Jesus, God in the flesh came here. He could have wiped everything out and just started everything over, but he didn't. He came here so that you and I could see a man. Somebody who these disciples or these apostles said they touched him. He stayed inside their house. He ate food with them. They knew this guy and they were like, there's something about this man. He's unlike anybody we've ever seen before in our entire life. And he walked a life without sin. And then he went and and got nailed to a cross like that. That was a form of capital punishment. Criminals, murderers, they would get stuck up there. But he endured this cross. He endured physical torture. He was put up there. And I've, I've read through certain many things. But when they're in that capital punishment, They have nails in their feet. They're trying to push themselves up. The pain gets so excruciating inside of their feet that then they try and drop and hang. And when they do that, it starts suffocating them because fluid builds up around the lungs and how it pulls down like that. So they alternate between standing and dropping and standing and dropping until finally they're so exhausted that they just give up but the pain was not only just that in those nails in the feet and the nails inside of the wrists like that, the pain was mental, the pain was spiritual, the pain was emotional, and the pain was just suffocating. His last breaths coming out, why did he do that? Why didn't, if he was God, why didn't he just stop the whole thing? The scripture verse says he endured the cross despising the shame, so he went through that He was numbered with the transgressors, the Bible says. In other words, he was treated just like a filthy criminal, just like the other guys. You know what, though? One of the guys that was up there in those three crosses, he turned and he started rebuking the guy on the other side and said, you be quiet. We are supposed to be up here. We did this. We did heinous crime. That man, though, did nothing. This man's an innocent man. And he turns weeping towards the Lord and says, Will you remember me when you get your kingdom set up? Will you remember me? And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. One split second, that man, he saw Jesus, and Jesus changed that man and saved that man out of darkness. And when he closed his eyes, he woke up in the light. Thank God. So Jesus endured the cross, even if it was for that man. Think about these men that get purple hearts in the military. They go tooling back inside of danger to pick up one man and pull him out. Sometimes several men. They put their lives in danger because they think it's worth it to save that one. Jesus did that even if you reject him all the way until your dying day. He still died for you even still if you say no, 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 no. It's, it makes sense for us that a good a man would die for another good man, but it makes no sense that a good man would die for a bad man. But that's what Jesus did. He endured the cross. He endured the emotional agony. He was falsely accused of doing awful things, of saying things he didn't say, of doing things he didn't do or that he might do, of causing a rebellion inside of this political realm and under the kingdom and rule of the Romans. He was accused of so many things and accused that he was just a deceiver. He was a hypocrite. He was ruining the people. And that's altogether different from what was going on inside the heart of Jesus Christ. He was trying to help people, and you know what? The poor people knew that. All the important church people, they didn't get it, but notice that all the people that were the filth and the offscoring of society, they were the ones that were running to Jesus because there was something in that man. There's something in that man's eyes. He's like a dove. There's such a gentleness. My soul just like draws out towards this man. Why? But he had this emotional agony, knowing here's where these people are. They're lost, here's what I've gotta do, here's what everybody thinks about me. And he was all alone. He said he looked for some to have pity on him, but he found no man, not one. Nobody understood what he was going through. He was alone. Again, numbered with the transgressors. He was misunderstood by the nation that was supposed to be looking for him, Israel. They knew that this Messiah was coming. It's all throughout the Old Testament. He was misunderstood by his close friends, his disciples. He was misunderstood by his family. One time his family came up while he was preaching and said, okay, buddy, you've gone a little too far. Why don't you come down here? And then he says, no, 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 no. My my mother, my brothers are the ones that obey God and walk after him, not just the ones that are by blood. So he pushed back away from what they were trying to do, get him down because he was off his rocker. But he had to go through that. He also endured the cross and that he was the substitution. You and I deserve the awful death. And here's a man that deserves none of it stepping in our place. What is he doing? I remember thinking that when I was younger, uh, and I won't go through the whole thing, but I remember one time I was, I ended up being at this church for a time and it wasn't any church that told me anything about what I know now as far as being saved, being a changed individual, none of that. Nobody told me that. But I remember seeing this old cross. You know, it's one of those rough-hewn boards that looks like it's got hair coming off of it almost because they didn't smooth it out. I remember looking at that. I turned and I looked at it, and it just gripped me in my heart. I thought, if ever that man Jesus died on a cross, it looked like that. It didn't look all nice and pretty and shellacked. It looked like that. And it made me break down, and I started crying. And I, all I could think was, why? Why did he die for me? I'm not even looking for him. I don't even want him. Why did he die for me? And that bothered me. That bothered me for months. I couldn't figure that out. Why? And yet, he was the substitution, the just man for the unjust people, for the people that deserved it. He said, no, 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 I'll take the place. I'll take their place. Then he despised the shame. He knew what his father, God required of him. It went cross-grain to everyone else's thoughts and expectations. It was despising the shame that came from the religious leaders, despising the cross, which was a symbol of utmost shame. It was despising, the shame was of smaller account to him because of the result. Remember how i had asked in the beginning, have you ever endured something because what, what would happen in the end? He despised all of that because he knew what the result was gonna be. How did he endure this? The scripture tells us Jesus was the purpose, Jesus was the payment, but Jesus took pleasure in it, why? For the joy that was set before him. Now that sounds insane. For the joy that was set before him? What kind of joy is somebody gonna take in going through all that? Well, this is what he says. The joy that was set before him was this. Then in the last day, no matter what anybody said about him, about his motives, about hypocrisy about telling lies, all the things that were falsely accused of Christ and him doing crimes and all sorts of other things, all of that was gonna be vindicated in the end. In other words, every other person could say that he'd done wrong, but when he stood before God, God knew that there was nothing wrong. He did nothing of what those people said. So he said, it doesn't matter if everyone in the world's against me. I know clear in my heart I have done what he's asked me to do, and I have not taken a step to the the left or to the right. I've gone forward. The joy that was set before him also was those redeemed sinners. Remember, the wrecked and the ruined and the busted, the hopeless. He was able then to clutch them out of the devil's hands and bring them into the light. So the joy that was set before him was redeemed sinners, transformed lives. The joy that was set before him was that he was going to defeat death and hell. We read that in some of the scriptures earlier that the last enemy was death because he died without justice. He won against death. And he, it says in the Old Testament, a prophecy, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Jesus died, went down into the grave, and God rose him up from the dead, thereby breaking the power of death over people, and he has the keys of it in his hand. Now he can take the sting of death away from any one of us. doesn't mean that death is something that you're like, wonderful, but the sting of death is that there is this load of sin inside of my heart and there's this load of guilt and I feel like I can't can't lift my head up to greet this God when I pass from this world to the next. We hang our heads down in shame and we're scared because we think, what's gonna happen? He can take the sting out. The passageway may be something you and I don't understand, but the sting's gone. The joy that was set before him is his resurrection. He knew that even though he had to go on that bloody, gruesome cross, he knew that God was gonna raise him up and pull him out of there. And now as a human being, that would be hard for you and I to endure when everything else looks contrary, but he did it. And he went through it. And not only his resurrection, but yours and mine. Because one of these days, If Jesus doesn't come back first, you and I are going to get buried in the dust, and there's our body. Our spirits are going to be gone, but our body's going to be there. And then there's going to be a day where those bodies are raised up and changed so that they can be in the glory of heaven forever and ever and ever. One day that's going to happen because of Christ. Before that it was impossible, but now with Him it is possible. He had the joy set before him of a new heaven and a new earth, because it's not just you and I that have been wrecked, it's everything. Everything's been tainted and wrecked. And he's going to make all that new. It says he's going to burn up all things with a fervent heat, all the elements of the world, and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. No more of all this filth that you and I are stuck in. No more murder, no more taking advantage of people, no more broken homes and bust, none of it. It's all going to be gone. It's gonna be righteousness. It's gonna be a place that you would love to dwell in because there will be no evil. It's gone. That's the joy set before him. And the joy set before him is that one day he'll reign forever and ever as the most awesome, loving, just king that has ever ruled ever. No one's gonna think in that day, this guy drives me crazy. This guy's on a power trip. Nobody's gonna think that. Everyone's going to be grateful because they first saw him take the plunge and go lower than anybody else so that he could be raised up to then the highest position and he can reign forever and ever. And because he went through that, he knows what you and I go through. He knows those sympathies. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he went through. He knows what it feels like to live in this life and be wrecked and battered. He knows what it's like to be tormented in our minds. He knows all of it. And because of that, he knows how to deal with us without hurting us. There may be a time where this great physician, Christ himself, has got to make an incision, but it's not to hurt us. It's just like when you go to the doctor. You don't come out of an operation and suddenly get angry at the doctor and say, I can't believe you cut me. I mean, you took a knife and you sliced me open and you pulled me open and then you cut me also inside? I'm taking you to court, I want my money back. Nobody does that. You don't want the operation, I don't either. (laughs) But I'm thankful that the result of the operation was that, and the intent the whole time was to fix me. Something was wrong. So sometimes God has to deal with us and it feels like that knife, but know that the hand that's holding the knife is not one out to hurt and harm, but one out to heal and bless. And that's what he's looking to do. That joy that's set before him, he can endure the present pain for the eternal bliss. And then Jesus, that potentate. The Bible says he's the blessed and only potentate. In other words, king of kings and lord of lords. It's told us that he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand is a really high position the right hand of God, there he is. He wasn't a self-appointed man that said, you know what, I think I'm really important so everyone else get out of the way and uh, I'm gonna be the ruler now and you all listen to me. That's not what happened. He was qualified. He went through the training. He was proved, he was battered. He went through all of it and God said that one can sit on the throne because he was obedient, even under the death of the cross. And so there he was, a qualified, obedient son. And this is why he came. He came to die on the cross. He came to go down into the depths, to be raised up again and resurrected like we would proclaim on this Easter Sunday and at any time, and then finally to be raised to the highest position in all of creation and all of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords without rival. Thank God. He said all power was given unto him. Therefore, go out and preach the gospel. Meaning that if you go talk to people about this salvation, it's not just going to be your empty words. It's going to be my spirit so interested in your life and in the lives of those people you're talking with so that when you're long and gone and those people are laying in their beds at night when everyone else is gone, that's going to be that barbed arrow inside of the heart and they're going to realize God's talking to me. He wants me. So there's no power above that King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is what this Easter is all about. Easter is about taking the wreckage and the ruin, taking it all the way to its end, which is death, raising it back up again, and then putting it up into the highest heaven where it cannot be touched ever again. That's what the resurrection of Christ does for humanity and for this existence, this world that we live in. It takes all of that and makes it new. And if you know in your own heart, I need that, I need that newness of heart. I got a load on me and I don't know what to do with it. All I want to tell you is what that scripture verse says Look to Jesus, look to Him. He's got the answer. It's not just a bunch of fluff. There's a lot of things you can hear about Jesus, but the most important thing you need to know about him is that he died to save sinners because there is no way God can exercise mercy on any one of us by ignoring our sins. But when he put his son in place of us, everybody knows God's not ignoring sin. It's being dealt with right here on the cross. So the only way you and I can get God's mercy is when we say, thank God, there's a substitute. Thank God it doesn't have to be me. Thank God I can bow down at his feet and say, Lord, help me. I'm in a mess and there's no way I can get out of this. And he said, my child. And he picks us right up and he brings us into his own family. And the devil can come here and rail all his accusations. You know what he says? Don't listen to him. He did that to me when I was on earth. You're my child now. Don't listen to him. And you say, but what about my past? He says, forget about that. That's not held against you anymore. He said, I can wipe that clean. I can get that out of the way. Now we've got a new trajectory for your life. There's something else going on. And it's not that God just has a plan for your life. He does. But his plan for your life is to clean up all the mess that was behind you. To take away all that guilt on your conscience for the things that you've done that you know you shouldn't have done that weighs heavy on you. Clean that out of the way so it's not held against you anymore. If it came up in the court of law, it's like that's been legally dealt with. The substitute paid the price. It's all done. And that'd be wonderful if that's where it stopped, but it keeps going. Jesus then wants to take these old black hearts of ours and he wants to clean them up And he wants to set himself as king on the throne of our heart so that we are changed people, new people. God can do that, and he will do it. And the question is, do you want that? Because God's a perfect gentleman. He's not gonna step on any one of our toes. If we say no, it'll grieve his heart because he loves us so intensely, but he will never force any of us to do anything. It's up to us. So the offer's out. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with that empty tomb and that risen Savior?